Hi everybody, welcome back into the Irish NFL show the week after what was an incredible draft week. I want to thank everybody for watching us both online and on the television as well. A fantastic week. Uh, joined by the team as usual, but today we've got a really, really special guest, senior writer at The Athletic and the president of the Professional Football Writers of America, uh, Lindsay Jones from The Athletic. Lindsay, welcome to the show. Hi guys, thanks for having me. Lindsay, now I like I mean, me and Colin know that you're both based in Denver, uh, but have you any Irish heritage yourself? Have you ever been to Ireland before? I have not been to Ireland. I don't, and I don't know all of the um, relationships with everybody. I have a lot of Welsh heritage, which I don't know if that is a good thing or a bad thing when I'm on the show. But. <laughs> I think it's okay. Colin, yeah, it's okay. Um, I, don't, yeah. I don't know the feelings of everybody there, but yeah, on both sides, uh, my grandparents have done, or my grandparents did the genealogy. Both sides of my family go, like, go to Wales. Um, and my, uh, my, one of my, one of the names was Hewitt, which I know is like a very, um, very common name um, yeah, in some no. parts of the UK. So um, yeah, nothing directly Irish, but um, a lot of uh, Northern European, I guess, yeah. ancestry. But I'd love to come to Ireland, so we'll make that happen someday. Well, uh, the, the Welsh are good fun, in fairness, and uh, known for their love of a, a sing-song, uh, Lindsay. So uh, the, definitely, if you have that heritage and you come to the pubs in Dublin, I think you'll, uh, you'll enjoy yourself. Um, I suppose we're, we're a week on uh, from the draft, but the, the big story before the draft and the big story a week on is Aaron Rodgers. And, uh, you know, broke uh, just before the draft. We've seen Adam Schefter on the Pat McAfee show. We've seen all the reports that have played out kind of over the week. Um, what, what, what's your take on it? Do you think Aaron uh, Rodgers, is this all smoke and mirrors or uh, could he rock up at a different team and uh, be playing in a new uniform come September? Yeah, I mean, there's so much to unpack when it comes to this story and what's going on with the Packers and with Aaron Rodgers. And, you know, I think if you very closely follow the guys who cover the Packers, um, they're beat writers who have been writing about them day in and day out. None of this was really surprising. I mean, I, nobody should be surprised that Aaron Rodgers has been very unhappy with the direction of the team, um, very unhappy with management. He's kind of been saying that and dropping clues about that all along. I know today, you know, we're recording this on Thursday afternoon, the kind of the big like kerfuffle here was that, you know, Adam Schefter admitted that he, he didn't have something new on draft day. It was an accumulation of reporting and decided to drop it, which is a fairly common thing for these the big national reporters. They do this every Sunday morning on game days during the season. They save up whatever nuggets and drop it like it's a bomb, even though it might not actually be a new bomb <laughs> necessarily. Um, but so, you know, it was just so it led to a lot of speculation of like, okay, was it Rogers camp that leaked it? Was this the Packers? When probably what happened was that it was, kind of like a lot of breadcrumbs gathered up to say, okay, here we have enough that we can put it out on one of the busiest news days of the year. That's not to say that it isn't true because Rogers has been very unhappy for a long time. And it all dates back to, I mean, to at least last year, but there's probably bits and pieces of it that go beyond the Jordan Love situation. It's not just the contract. It's not just the roster stuff. It's not just who has he, who is, um, who have the Packers signed, all of those sorts of things. And then the one other thing that I always come back to whenever I talk to anybody um, about Aaron Rodgers and the Packers, 
but especially Aaron Rodgers, is that he operates differently than most NFL players. And if you want to ascribe kind of typical NFL player behavior to him and precedent about like what happened in this other situation, it doesn't work because he doesn't think like a typical NFL player does, even a star quarterback. He doesn't act like a typical NFL quarterback does. Um, Green Bay is also a very different market than just about anywhere else. They have a different ownership structure. So it's really hard to kind of apply typical kind of NFL procedures to this. Um, I will say my sense is that there are teams that are going to continue to want to be interested in Aaron Rodgers because obviously you should be interested in Aaron Rodgers. And, you know, we talked about how I live in Denver. I think the Broncos are one of those teams that are going to keep this on the table and we'll keep seeing if there's a package out there that might interest the Packers. But if you're the Packers, why would you, why would you do that? You dig in, you call it, you call his bluff. You know, it's going to take, it takes two parties to trade. And I don't think we're anywhere close to that boiling point where they have to make some sort of decision um, and, and trade him. And so we'll see. I mean, this is going to be the biggest story to watch until, I mean, May 17th is when players could be on the field for the first time. He's not going to be there for that. But a lot of players around the league aren't going to be there for that. So then it kind of pushes to July, July 27th, which I think is going to be the first day of training camp for most teams. Does he show up then? If he's not there then, then it's a really big freaking deal, even bigger than it is right now. Lindsay, this offseason, um, I suppose, this disgruntled quarterback seems to be the common team. We had it initially with Deshaun Watson before the off-field stuff came into play, and then obviously with Russell Wilson. Those two quarterbacks, I suppose, it's about, play, about you know, some kind of authority there. Like Deshaun Watson was, seemed to be disappointed he wasn't involved in the general manager selection. Russell Wilson seems to be trying to make hay around the fact that they need to get players in to support him on the offensive line. Is this going to be a common team going forward that we're going to see disgruntled players trying to push their way out of teams we haven't seen before? Yeah, I mean, maybe quarterbacks, right? I mean, I don't think we're going to all of a sudden see, you know, maybe disgruntled defensive backs wanting more say and, you know, who their team is drafting. But quarterbacks do assert some, you know, more power than anybody else on the team. They're the mo- most marketable player on the team. Generally, they have the, they carry the largest contracts. They're the ones who are the ones who are ascribed the wins and losses, unlike other players. Um, and, you know, we see players of their, you know, I guess the, uh, their peers in other sports, whether that's, you know, the LeBron Jameses, um, you know, the, the very peak, most famous, highest profile guys in the other sports do get more say a lot of times in their team building process and their marketability and all of these sorts of things that typically NFL players have not gotten. Um, we are seeing, I mean, we're right maybe at the beginning, maybe getting to the middle of kind of this new player empowerment era in the NFL where that's not, that doesn't just apply to you know, what we're talking about right now, but that's everything with the, the social justice movement, with um, forcing trades and those sorts of things that we're seeing happen more and more and more. So, you know, I think players are finally kind of pushing back. Some guy, and there's, but the thing is, is like, there's only a handful of players that truly have the power and the leverage that they can do something about it. And the guys that we just talked about are a very small, you know, small minority. But look, you know, when you, if you, if you're Russell Wilson, if you're Aaron Rodgers right now, you look and see how some other teams are built and the way that they're, you know, continuing to invest around their best players or they're reshaping their rosters or they're, you know, the way that they're doing their contracts or, you know, 
the Bucks are clearly listening to Tom Brady and it worked and they won a Super Bowl. And two of the, you know, some of the big reasons that they won a Super Bowl is because they did things the way that Tom Brady wanted to do it. And they brought in a couple of players that Tom Brady really wanted, Rob Gronkowski, obviously to have some familiarity and a guy that he could trust and his buddy along with him and Antonio Brown. And I've been very critical about the Antonio Brown signing when it happened, before it happened, when it happened, after it happened, I'll, you know, he re-signed, I'll continue to be skeptical about the motives of that and everything. But it was clearly something that Tom Brady wanted to do. And other teams aren't doing that, you know, Russell Wilson probably watched the draft and saw the uh, saw the, <laughs> the Seahawks draft a five foot seven, 150 pound receiver or whatever Dwayne Estridge was and is like, are you kidding me? Like, you, you can't give me like a 350 pound guard. Like, you're going to give me another little speedy wide receiver. And I, I like that guy. I hope he ends up being a really good player, but it's clearly not listening to, you know, your biggest investment. So um, yeah, I think you're right though, Brian, though, that this is the way that it's going to we're, go- we're going to get more of this in the future. Um, but, it, but probably just from like the biggest, mm-hmm. the biggest guys, it's going to be a problem if we have like every position doing it, but, um, but quarterbacks, I, I get why they want to. Yeah. They're, they're all still under contract with their teams at the moment though, Lindsay. So it's not, it's not like the NBA yet. Like, they can't force their way out, but I was going to just say, and you went on to say it, like Tom Brady's still managing to piss off every other quarterback and uh, in terms of what he gets and they don't. Um, but look, enough about the the pretty boy quarterbacks who are whining about their, their contracts and their situations. Uh, boo-hoo. I mean, I want to turn to something that maybe the players should be whining about and should be a lot more upset about. Obviously, OTAs and the NFLPA's uh, direction or suggestion to players they should opt out of OTAs as having some consequences. Uh, naturally, Jawan James has suffered a season-ending injury, and there is now doubt, obviously, as to whether he'll be paid his salary because, of course, it's not team-organized activities and the Broncos would be fully within their rights to refuse to pay him his salary. And, frankly, I haven't seen the NFLPA suddenly turn around and say, don't worry about it, we'll stump up that money. Um, what's your take on that dynamic that effectively they've created for themselves there? Yeah, I mean, this is, it's a really complex situation. Um, the bottom line is that the, this, this is not about COVID. Um, and the PA publicly talks about that they don't, they didn't want to come to OTAs because they're still scared of, um, I mean, scared is maybe not the right word, but they're worried about COVID and the protocols and, you know, the cases, you know, are still you know, pretty high in a lot of areas in our country and um, not enough of their players have received vaccines, whether that's they haven't wanted to get them or they haven't been able to get them at this point. This is all about trying to overhaul the entire system. And they've wanted to do this for a long time. And last year and everything that went through, they went through last year, gave them the opening to do that because they had to renegotiate to get back on the field because they were operating under these 2020 protocols, this mini CBA that they signed last year. So this gave them their chance. This was their opening that they've kind of always wanted to change this, this structure of the system. And they do have a year's worth of data to say, look, the, the product on the field did not suffer when we didn't have an on-field, you know, any on-field component to the offseason. Um, you know, they say that injuries were down. The NFL says that that those numbers are a little skewed or whatever. But Penalties were down, scoring was up, um, games were more competitive than ever, 
they made it through the whole season without having to put an asterisk on it or anything like that. So they have the data to, to back up their claims that they don't need this on-field work. The problem now is exactly what you say, Mark, is that the risk was that what would happen if a guy gets hurt? Because these guys still have to work out. That That is not an option. You can't just not work out for this offseason. Last year, they were covered because they weren't allowed to come in. So whatever you were doing away from the facility. Um, but now they're not because they have the option to go into the building. And it's going to be a really weird situation and a really weird season. And I've been calling um, a lot of my coworkers, my colleagues around who cover the NFL. I've been talking to a lot of people with the teams to try to figure out who's coming, what's the dynamic like. And it, there, there is not unity amongst the union, within the union. Um, you know, there's a lot of teams that'll have, that might end up having most of their guys not be there, but some, I don't know if there's going to be any teams that have hundred percent. It's going to be this really awkward um, and really, really weird dynamic. So I basically, I just think the problem has been in the messaging that's come out of the NFLPA. And if there is confusion from their members, why is that? Why was this not more clearly communicated? Um, you know, a lot of that, I think is sometimes guys just don't want to pay attention to the ins and outs of the contract or they're not reading all of the messaging and they don't know. And you kind of just go along with what everybody's doing. And I, you know, I don't know what you do about it in that case, but it's going to be really tricky and it's going to be hard to kind of stay on brand and stay on message and keep everybody unified when look, I mean, if we look back to March of 2020, it's like right before everything really shut down that CBA passed by 60 votes you know, and there's more than 2000 player members. And of course not everybody voted, but it barely passed. So there was not unity within the union before the pandemic. Everything kind of came together better than expected. I mean, there was more uni unification during the last season because they kind of had to be. Um, and now we're kind of back to where everybody's all over the map. So um, it's gonna be really interesting. I, I think I mentioned it, May 17th is really kind of the, the date to watch here. That's when phase two of the offseason program begins. That's where teams can actually be on the field for the first time to see how many guys show up. Um, the teams probably aren't gonna be like broadcasting who's there and who's not there unless there are teams where everybody just shows up. Um, and then a week after that, May 24th is when they can actually be doing like 11 on 11 work. And those are officially like OTAs. And at least as of now, some of those are going to have to be open to the media. So stay tuned. Hopefully we'll get to watch. I hope to be able to drive like five miles down the road here to the Brockwest facility and watch a couple of practices if they have enough people show up to do something like that. It could just be a bunch of rookies. I have no idea. Let's see what happens. I mean, it's it's fascinating because usually, Lindsay, like the, the off-season, I guess for fans, especially overseas, can feel very long. But this year, for some reason, there just seems to be something every day. You got that Rogers news, obviously, the 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 Jawan James news yesterday on Wednesday was was just crazy after the year that he's had. But I'm gonna even focus upon something that happened last Thursday, last Thursday and last Friday. Uh Trevor Lawrence going to Jacksonville. I mean. It was expected to happen. But also he gets this running back in Travis Etienne. Uh, there's a new era there, Lindsay. Do you think that will take a lot of time to gel down there? Or, or do you think it's something that could happen quite quickly because of the guy that Trevor Lawrence is? Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, hopefully for, for Trevor's sake, it works out. I mean, because he, he does appear to be a generational talent. Um, I just think it's so interesting that he was probably like the least talked about number one 
overall pick that I can remember. I mean, even last year when we all knew that Joe Burrow was going number one, we still talked a lot about Joe Burrow and how he's going to fit and his skill set and all this stuff. And it was just kind of like Trevor Lawrence was just so clearly the best prospect in this class. Um, and there was so much intrigue with all the other quarterbacks that we all just kind of forgot about Trevor Lawrence. I mean, we didn't forget about Trevor Lawrence, but it was just kind of this, like, we didn't really talk about him. There was no drama. There was, you know, there was this like manufactured drama the week before that was like, maybe he doesn't love football enough, which if that's where we're at, that's the thing to talk about this guy. And then that's pretty ridiculous of kind of a storyline. Um, you know, but I think he's, you know, he's really good. And I don't think there's any question whether or not he's really good. The biggest thing to me or the most interesting thing to me is the whole Urban Meyer part of this, because I have no idea how this is going to work in the NFL, what his offense is going to look like. It's going to be an Urban Meyer influenced offense who, you know, he was really kind of at the forefront of bringing the, the kind of the spread offense and these um a lot of the motion and a lot of these like RPOs and all this kind of stuff that eventually has finally made it to the NFL. I mean, if you look at the offenses that he ran at the university of Utah and the university of Florida, um, you know, we've forgotten, I think just like how innovative of an offensive mind urban Meyer is because of everything else that was part of the urban Meyer experience later with the health issues and the scandals at Ohio state and all that sort of stuff. But so now it's going to be like an urban Meyer offense with a, a Daryl Bevel slash Brian Schottenheimer kind of influence. So like, what exactly is this going to look like? What does the rest of their roster look like? I think their defense is still really bad. Like, I think there was a reason that they only won one game last year. And does Trevor Lawrence himself just being there change of coach and stuff. Does that make them a seven win team? five wins. I don't, you know, I'm trying to figure out exactly how much better they're going to be. They're certainly going to be more interesting. Um, but I do have a lot of questions about kind of just the rest, the rest of that roster and, um, just how good they can be defensively. I guess the good news for them is that the Colts probably are going to take a step back in their division. We, I mean, unless, unless, uh, Frank Reich is immediately able to fix Carson Wentz and turn Carson Wentz back into a MVP candidate. The Texans are going to be really bad. I mean, the Texans are like the, the odds on favorite to have the number one overall pick next year. I mean, I was talking to our Texans beat writer today and it was like, are they a three win team? Like, where would you set their over under? Like he was like, yeah, maybe three wins. I'm like, give me the under. So they're playing kind of a bad division. The Titans might take a step back too. I mean, they maybe overachieved a little bit last year. They're losing their offensive coordinator. Um, so it's not like they're, they're playing in kind of a loaded division right now. So that could help you know, help their timeline a little bit. Um, but I'm very excited to watch Trevor Lawrence. I'd love to see, I'd love to see how it works. And from a strictly like a storyteller, you know, league watcher, I'm just so curious what's going to happen with Urban Meyer and if it's going to work or not, or if it's going to completely explode. Yeah. I mean, you, you mentioned how uh, we didn't talk about Lawrence because of the intrigue around the others. And in terms of storylines and, and the way things are going to work out, I suppose, Kyle Shanahan and and Trey Lance and I saw you tweet out uh you know a quote from Kyle last week that uh, you want to find Drew Brees who can move like Lamar Jackson has he found that in in Trey Lance uh you know I, they, they gave up a lot to, to move up the obviously the talk was Mac Jones they go with Lance um given that you know they, they knew probably going up that Zach Wilson wasn't going to be there what, what's your sense was Lance always the guy for them I, th I mean, I think so. And I think he's, Kyle Shanahan has 
basically indicated as much since. And I don't know why they had to like run with this like secrecy stuff that they did for as long as they did. I kind of think that they just saw that there were a lot of people who were assuming it was Mac Jones and they thought it was funny and were like, cool, go ahead, you guys. I'm not going to correct you. Um, but because they were kind of sitting at that, that spot at three where they could, they could kind of just like watch this and laugh about it. Um, you know, I, I noticed that quote, the one that you just read, um, because in part, because um, I was writing a story about the 2001 draft that was publishing the next day. And it was kind of the impact of the 2001 draft or that was the Michael Vick and Drew Brees draft. And so when he mentioned Drew Brees and I was like, ah, oh, if he only said Mike Vick, I could have put that quote in my story because that would have been, that would have been like the money quote that I needed. <laughs> it's like a new quote there, but, um, but I, th I did think it was interesting. And we spent so much time trying to like dig into like, what has Kyle Shanahan said? And what is he, what did he, his face look like when he was in Columbus? And what did he look like when he was in Tuscaloosa? And is he making faces beneath his mask? And he never wears his mask, so that kind of helps. Um, he's been, I think he's, I don't think he's like an anti-masker, but he just, I don't know, for whatever reason. Um, but I think, I think he's the guy that they want. He fits the mold of like what his ideal quarterback is going to be. Um, Selecting Trey Lance made it pretty clear to me that they are not going to move Jimmy Garoppolo this year, that it would take like a really ridiculous offer because I think he's the guy who could benefit the most from a year of learning. And a Kyle Shanahan offense is very difficult. Um, even quarterbacks have been in the NFL for a really long time, have struggled to adjust to it and have taken to their second year to really kind of fully master what Kyle Shanahan wants them to do. Um, I mean, Matt Ryan's first year working with him in Atlanta was fine. It was like a very average year. Year two, he won the MVP. Um, you know, even Garoppolo, they won a lot of games early, but it didn't really take off until kind of the second year that they were together. So I think it would benefit Trey Lance a lot if he's able to, you know, he doesn't have to start week one. The thing is now though, these rookie quarterbacks, these first round quarterbacks, they play. And one of the biggest reasons that they felt they needed to go out and get a quarterback is that Jimmy Garoppolo can't stay healthy. So whether Garoppolo is starting week one, I mean, he could sprain an ankle in the second quarter of week one against the Seahawks or whoever it is they play. And we're gonna, we're gonna be seeing Trey Lance, but I'm excited. I mean, I think, I think he has a ton of upside. I'm still surprised that, just, uh, that Justin Fields fell as far as he did can't believe the Broncos didn't take him when they had him there on the board at nine. Um, but this is going to be a really fun quarterback class. And I think we're, you know, we've got this a little bit now with the two, 2018 group where we've got kind of a pretty established, really good group that we're able to compare. We're going to be doing that for a long time now with this 2021 class too. Lindsay, as a Giants fan, it was a welcome relief to see the general manager, Dave Gettleman, get a lot of praise for this for this draft, um, even your, your, yourself in after day two wrote a very good synopsis of praising himself and the Lions as well with Dan Campbell. But what teams coming out of the draft do you feel really improved over, over the course of the three days? Yeah, I mean, I think those were a couple. I mean, I, the Lions, I liked their process. I don't know how much better they are. I mean, I think they're going to be a pretty bad team this year and they're kind of still in a teardown mode. And that's what's tricky about like evaluating drafts immediately after is like, we don't really know how any of these guys are going to pan out. I mean, you can say with some sort of confidence that a guy like Trevor Lawrence 
is going to be really good. I mean, I think last year we were all able to look at Chase Young and be like, yeah, that guy can play. He's, he's going to be a really good, he's going to be a really good player. But in terms of like, you know, when we're trying to like grade draft classes and stuff, I mean, who knows, but you can very clearly say, look at how drafts go and say, okay, we see where this organization is going. Either they had a plan, they knew what they needed. They knew the style of guy that they wanted or the attitude or whatever. Um, so those two that you just mentioned, you know, the, I just liked Dave Gettleman, like getting value finally, <laughs> like getting, like realizing that he could move around the draft board in a way that would, um, help his team and gather extra picks. And he was still able to probably get some of the guys that they were targeting anyways, and get them and pick up some other picks along the way. Um, this feels really weird to say, but I think the Browns are really smart and are doing a really good job. I loved I loved the Browns draft. Um, I thought they had a pretty good draft last year too, but I, I just really liked, I thought they got good players at the positions that they needed. Um, so yeah, I think the Browns did really well. Um, Jags draft was interesting. We already just kind of talked about them. Um, I'm trying to think who else I really liked. Um, God, it's just the Browns just keep jumping out at me. I mean, you know what? I, I don't know how the Bears picks are necessarily going to work out. But they have, they drafted a couple guys that they're going to need to play right away. I mean, Tevin Jenkins, the uh, the left tackle that they got in the second round who, um, according to like most you know, media drafts or whatever, had first round grades on this guy. Um, you know, and he's going to have to play now. A lot of people actually had him going to the Bears at 20 in the fourth round. Yeah. So, I mean, it, you know, it was a position of need and, um, and now it really is a position of need because they cut their veteran left tackle. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's a little, it's a little scary to be like, okay, cool. Here's our rookie quarterback and our rookie left tackle, throwing them out there right away when a lot of other stuff organizationally hasn't gone that well for them. Um, but I, I liked the plan because how many years have we been asking for a quarterback plan from the bears and they've just never had one. And they made some smart, some really smart moves, at least in this 2021 draft vacuum. I don't know if we can call them smart overall yet. I think we're still a long way away from that. Um, but I at least liked, you know, I liked their, their plan. Um, and I kind of liked what the chiefs did where, I mean, they didn't have a ton of picks, you know, obviously they traded their first rounder a couple of days before the draft to go get, a, get Orlando Brown. But I liked that they, they drafted a center Creed Humphrey, who just very clearly like He's like a chief's guy, you know, he's like an Andy Reid kind of guy, addresses a, a position of need. Um, they filled a couple defensive holes that I think will help them long-term. So those are a couple that jump out at me, but yeah, I think it's really the Browns. The Browns are my, like, yeah. it feels so weird. And the I think the Jets were good too, but um, I throw them in there as like a, another smart, but smart Lindsay, Lindsay, I'm almost laughing in the fact that it does feel weird to say the Browns have done something smart. They've done something good. Well, they're stacking smart years together, which is what's wild. It's like, we're not just saying that this is a one-time thing. It's, it's very clearly now for a couple of years in a row, you can see the way that they're finally correcting decades worth of mistakes and they've got smart people. They've got grownups in charge now, even though they're young, I mean, I say grownups in charge. I mean, (laughs) their general manager and their head coach, I believe are both younger than I am. So, uh, it's just, and I'm not yeah. even 40 yet. So it's bizarre, it's bizarre, but they've got really, I think they've got the right people that they can finally have some consistency yeah. there and build a winning team. So Lindsay, one of the things we love about the NFL obviously is the different stories that are told in relation to, and obviously your, you know, your great writing tells a number of those stories. And look, some of those stories are sometimes romantic. Some of those stories are sometimes comedic. 
but there's also some horror stories from time to time. Like, you know, my two of my co-hosts face on draft night when the Broncos didn't draft Justin Fields was like something out of Stephen King's It. You just described Urban Meyer and Bavel and Schottenheimer and maybe Tebow at tight end. That's straight off the pages of Mary Shelley. I mean, the monster is alive there. But I always like the horror stories are a bit of like this growing impending doom that are, are creeping up on someone. And, and in Ireland, we have a hell of a lot of Steelers fans. Obviously, Dan Rooney used to be the ambassador to Ireland. And I hate to say it for all the Steelers fans to watch the show, but there must be, after last season, they're starting 10-0 and 0 and everything, there's almost like this increasing, impending, morbid doom. I mean, they've, they're already committed to Lurch. Sorry, not Lurch. Ben Roethlisberger for next season. Uh, and obviously, they had their exit to the play, uh, in the playoffs to the Browns. As we mentioned, they were doing the right moves for once. But this week, I couldn't help to notice. And we do love a bit of, you know, gossip and everything. You know, Jared Goff on blast from Gerald Everett before was great. But Alejandro Villanueva of the Steelers, pulling on blast, basically the wide receivers probably taking shots at Juju there. Um, that's a bit of fun and a bit of scandal in relation to it. But again, if you're a Steelers fan, you're going, oh, Jesus, like, when, when will it stop? When will the good times come back? Yeah, I mean, they always felt like a smoke and mirrors team to me last year, even when they were winning all those games through the first half of the year. It was like, you know, you would put, they were, you know, near the top of a lot of power rankings. And sometimes I'd be like, but did you watch? Did you watch them? Did you, you know, the, they weren't fun to watch, I'll say. You know, I think there were a lot of defensive things that they were doing well, but like that offense was painful. And then it all kind of, it all came crashing down where they just like couldn't move the ball at all. I mean, down, there was no downfield passing. The offensive line was a mess. They couldn't run the ball. I mean, it was just, they were really hard to watch and yet they still, you know, were a playoff bound team. So I don't think any of this is necessarily surprising that they're kind of on this downward trajectory. I think they're going to regret not having a Ben Roethlisberger succession plan. Um, they probably should have had one in place a couple of years ago when he got hurt and they had to do that, whatever ugly carousel of Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges and back to Mason Rudolph and all of that that went on. And then even going through that, they didn't really address it last year. And then another year where we kind of kept mentioning them as a team that like, maybe this is a team who could make a quarterback move. And maybe they, you know, they will do something. And their quarterback move this year was re-signing Roethlisberger and then signing Dwayne Haskins to like a futures contract. Like I'm, if I'm a Steelers fan, I'm not feeling great about, about that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I just, I, I want to know what their long-term plan at quarterback is, because that's going to dictate so much else. Um, and yeah, I mean, Raven Steelers has uh, lost a little bit, bit of its luster lately, but now maybe it's back. So uh, I will, hopefully the schedule making gods, I know they are hard at work right now because the schedule is coming out in six days. Hopefully they will give us a Raven Steelers game in prime time very early in the season. You've actually set me up for the last question here, Lindsay, but you've just said about the schedule there. Any rumors about London? Have you heard anything? I mean, we've talked about the players, the union there. I still think as much as the UK has done very well from the vaccine and stuff, I still think it's insane to think there's going to be four games, but who knows? Uh, have you heard anything or is it still Yeah, very much I was actually just thinking about that, that I probably should, I should be asking about that. I mean, they want to have those games. And last time we kind of talked to some, you know, league execs, they seemed very optimistic that that was going to happen. Felt a little unrealistic, like you guys, like you guys have said, um, 
by this time last year, they had already announced that those games weren't happening. They had already pulled that all off the table. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think. I think the Falcons are planning to be host. Yeah. The Falcons will be hosting a game, and then that should be the Jaguars, right? Um, it, it it like it honestly like Lindsay it came out of nowhere it was five minutes to midnight one night uh, and the Falcons just came out and everyone was like whoa okay but I think the day it was announced last year correct me if I'm wrong was actually the day before the schedule dropped so they sort of acknowledged okay. it then yeah it's not going to happen so I mean like who, who knows what's yeah happen, yeah that's um that's a good especially good this is not good for your podcast right now but like it's a good reminder <laughs> to me that like tomorrow when I'm making some calls to people in the league office to ask if there's ask if there's an update on that I mean it does seem you know it if this is a year you know where they're trying to get back to normal but a lot of it is like control we can control and you know they've been working a lot with you know U.S. officials where um, you know I, I don't I wouldn't be shocked if those U.K. games don't happen because there's just a lot more variables with going overseas and what it entails to pull off those games that that they can't control and that like stuff that has to be planned so much more in advance where you know if they needed to move a game stateside they could do that it's a lot more be a lot more work and getting people to commit to buying tickets um yeah it's it's just probably a big a big mess but I think they want to happen I mean they want it to happen you know the the international markets are very important to them they a couple months ago we're talking about how they want to expand to um they want to go to Germany um they'd love to go um more into Central America or South America, probably South America, less Central America, but um, beyond Mexico, where they already are, they need to return to Mexico. It's been a couple of years now. Um, so they want to do it. They're going to, there's, they're, it's a big priority for them, but I don't, it, it's hard to see it happening in 2021, given kind of still the state of the world and the variants and everything. But hopefully you guys are able to get vaccinated if you haven't yet. I know, um, big deal it's kind of like the daily story that all my friends and I are talking about here so I imagine it's kind of the same for you guys. Lindsay we um we couldn't let you go I suppose you you are in Denver and and last year when you were on with Michael and I you talked about how you know it was great there was no QB competition in Denver for the first time in years and it was settled and what a simpler time that was yeah indeed then then 2020 happened and and Drew Locke um you know there were mitigating factors but uh, you know, you would feel, I think everyone would feel more, more confident if he, if he hadn't been rock bottom of a lot of, uh, a lot of those QB metrics. What are, what are your thoughts on the Broncos? They like, they, they seem so stacked in so many areas, but obviously questions at right tackle, another injury and at QB. What from, from somebody who's on the ground there and covering the team, what are your own thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I totally understand why there's a lot of Broncos fans who are disappointed coming out of the draft because you just kind of wanted a quarterback move. You know, you look around the landscape of the NFL and you see the teams that are ascending or the teams that have made the big quarterback moves that don't have this kind of churning cycle of quarterback questions and mediocre quarterback play where the Broncos are very much in that cycle right now. The things though, I mean, I will say that the things that the Broncos liked about Drew Locke and were excited about with Drew Locke this time last year, I think a lot of those things are still there in terms of his, his, um, his athleticism, his swagger, um, the pieces on offense around him, you know, the Cortland Sutton will be back, Jerry Judy, the, the running back group was never 
healthy and how it was supposed to be last year. I mean, Noah Fant, like there were some games where it looked like he could barely walk, like he was playing through a lot of stuff last year. Um, there's a lot to like about their defense and the way that they've kind of reshaped that group this off season. So, you know, but we're back into this whole thing where it's like, but they just need competent quarterback play and they could be a good team. I still think they're pretty far away from the chiefs. And I think they're getting further away potentially from the chargers who have the right young quarterback and the Broncos just don't have that guy yet. And I don't want to completely write off Drew Locke, but I'm just saying it's, it's going to be really, a Drew Locke, Teddy Bridgewater quarterback battle. As much as I'm dying to watch some live football and really excited to drive down Arapahoe road there and watch some live football. I'm kind of bored by a Drew Locke, Teddy Bridgewater quarterback battle. You know, I just, especially when like Justin Fields could have been here or there was those three hours on Thursday afternoon where maybe it was going to be Aaron Rodgers and maybe it'll still be Aaron Rodgers. Um, that's the one thing that Broncos fans are holding, uh, holding out a little bit of hope for right now. And it's driving sports talk radio in Denver. Uh, thank God for those Aaron Rodgers rumors, even though Denver sports talk radio should just be all in on the nuggets and the avalanche right now. I don't know why they're even <laughs> wasting their time on all this stuff, but that's just, that's how this market is. They just want its quarterbacks all the time. Um, so right. I don't know. I mean, I, their floor is higher, but I don't think their ceiling has gotten any higher. And yep. when the I mean, the, the chiefs are like a 12 win floor, right. And if the Broncos ceiling is nine games, maybe that's not great. That's just not, that's not a world that you really want to be living in if you're a Broncos fan. So I apologize to you guys. Hopefully it'll get better. Maybe Aaron Rodgers will make it here. We'll see. It's okay, Lindsay. Not not all of us are Broncos fans. So it's it's fine. Don't worry about that. Um, it, it's funny actually. You talk about that sport radio. It's almost like Broncos fans have turned into Bears fans in terms of maybe we'll get Aaron Rodgers. Maybe these things will happen. I know the guys love me bringing that up. Um, and equally, sorry, Drew Locke is going to be a case point, but Sam Darnold even in the Panthers as well. Like, can you rescue a twenty-three year old? Um, uh, you know, he's still got a lot of talent, a lot of time there with Run CMC. Um, Lindsay, we appreciate massively all your time in relation to this. It's been so great to talk to you uh, in relation to all the things NFL and get your insights and everything. Um, obviously, um, continue good luck with uh, your various endeavors, obviously, as chairman of the professional football uh, writers. But yeah, also, we got a lot of work to do because we got to try to get back in the lot. locker room. We got to get, yeah, we got to get back to some normal, normal way that we cover the league. So Hopefully everybody's out there getting their vaccines and the NFL and NFLPA can get their, you know what, together and we Absolutely. can get back. We can Absolutely. get back inside these games. Yeah, but look, yeah. thank you for all the content you and all the team at The Athletic continue to pull out. Um, Lindsay, you know, senior writer at The Athletic, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me. Lindsay, thanks very much. And it's one pound a week, folks, at the minute, about one euro 20 to subscribe to The Athletic UK do that. And Lindsay, thank you very much for your time. And everybody, we will see you next week.